Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting conversation series. That's right. Greg and I are stepping back, and we got two amazing hosts. How do I know? Because I've listened to their shows. I've already heard this one. It's so good. It's Webb Marsh and Ron Kuzmar talking lighting controls. They're doing a six-pack with us. This is the second one. And their, their guest today is Paula Martinez-Nobles. That's right. And they get into lighting controls and everything else. And we'll save that. Put a pin in that. Because we're going to talk about the magicians, Greg Garrick, from Evluma. Go to evluma.com. That's right. The magicians. Now, just about every lighting company out there has a cob light, right? They have a bunch of LEDs built around it. But there are a lot of instances where you need something different. Maybe you have a decorative post light that needs a high-pressure sodium color for one. You know who's got something? Evluma. They've got 2,000 Kelvin up to 5,000 Kelvin all built in as options you can do. So you can match a high-pressure sodium look, compact size. It gives you everything you need with an omnidirectional light engine and 10KV and 10KA of surge protection. That's the issue with a lot of cobs is they burn off from the surge. Evluma overdoes it, gets it so that it won't be a problem for you. Check these guys out. Some people have 3,000 K cobs. Some people... But most people only have 4,000 and 5,000 K of Luma. The magicians, they take it right down to 2,000 K so you can match that gaslight color, the high-pressure sodium. Go to the magicians at evluma.com. And, of course, the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, the funders of all the best lighting media in the market. That's right. I'm just going to say it. And, of course, the Lighting Agora and the Lighting Controls Association, two guest presenters on this conversation series because it's so important. For right now, we're going to throw you over to Webb Marsh and Ron Kuzmar coming in hot on the Get a, Grip on Lighting, Get a Grip on Lighting podcast conversation series. Ooh. All right. Well, welcome to our talk. I'm the self-proclaimed lighting control specialist, Webster Marsh, and my co-host, Ron Kuzmar. And we have here Paula. She is a designer, and we're really here to get an idea of what it is she does when it comes to lighting control specifically. So, Paula, you know, just out of curiosity, you know, what is it that you do just so that our guests can get an understanding of what what your responsibilities are in your current job? And then, uh, you know, we'll get into it after that. Great, thank you. Thank you for having me also. Um, so I am a, yes, I'm a lighting designer. I'm also a, a principal at Fisher Moran Stone. Um, I wear many hats. I'm also the studio director, um, which really just means that I'm in charge of making sure our our team is, is really uh, well uh, prepared to handle the kind of projects that we really are privileged to do on a, on a regular basis. Um, our team is uh, has been in New York for you know for 50 years we, we've got a quite a long legacy and so uh, we are very fortunate to work on some really extreme um, whether it's theater projects or you know facade control um, you know big flashy things and in, in international work or um, really just a little bit more toned down you know residential work museum work office corporate um, you name it we're we're doing a part of it. <laughs> Awesome. Well, and thank you for, for joining us. Um, so, I mean, when it comes to lighting control specifically, I mean, you do wear a lot of different hats here, but what, um, what is it that you do when, it, when a project, it's, it's clear that you need to kind of carry that torch with lighting controls? You know, what, where do you start? Where do you go? Where do you end when it comes to that? Sure. And so, you know, probably one of the answers you get all the time is it really does depend on the project. Uh, and for, for us, because again, we've got such a variety of project types, um, it especially depends on for just in a, giving an example, a, a, you know, a, a corporate project that might have a very high end auditorium or multi-purpose room. Uh, we are asked to be very involved in making sure we're you know, collecting the information from ownership from the client to understand how that space is being used. So we're not only layering in the lighting design, but also the functionality of the space. You know, do we have enough uh, different scenes to be able to provide what the client needs? In some cases, we're doing law firms, so you might have a moot court. Uh, the auditorium has multiple uses. And so we want to be able to provide not just the multiple layers of lighting, but also the control compatibility to be able to do that in a, in a user-friendly kind of way. Um, 
you know, on a, a theatrical project, maybe we'll be involved with um, a theater consultant and they, they might have all the nuts and bolts of the auditorium, the theater space itself. But typically we're supporting them right outside of those doors, right? So we, we try to work collaboratively with that team so that the user has a system that's compatible not just in the architectural spaces but also the theater right so it's one big system even if they don't physically touch and, and communicate with each other that the um you know the user is able to to have a a system that you know is, is similar enough or or compatible so that they're you know they're not having to deal with two different things Right. So, I mean, to kind of sum that up, you, you kind of take on a role of owner's representative in a way when it comes to design intent of lighting control systems. You may not actually be the person with the bug in the ear of the owner, but you are essentially representing to all other trades what the goal is when it comes to the lighting control system. Absolutely. Yep. And, so and a I lot imagine... of that comes. Mm -hmm. No, no, go. Go ahead. So, so a lot of that um, comes into play, you know, a lot of our projects now have owner project managers, uh, they have the client itself, they have the architect, and sometimes we're, you know, we're in the middle being almost translator, uh, we're understanding the technical aspects of it, the, the architectural uh, aesthetic aspects of it, and having to translate that to the team, to, to the owner project management group, um, to the owner in terms of what kind of uh you know how, how can you get your bank your best bang for your buck how can you how can we give you uh the choices the options so that you understand what are you gaining what are you losing what is it going to roughly cost you you know ballpark we don't you know we don't have a say or, or uh, we don't have exact numbers of what control systems might cost but we have a, a range that we understand based on just working with reps in the industry and especially being in new york city uh, you know, we get a chance to work very closely with the reps and, and uh, the manufacturers. And so we're able to really advise the, the client and, um, and sometimes help the, the owner project management team really understand what we're trying to provide the team, um, as opposed to letting them kind of do all of the uh, uh, estimating on their own terms. <laughs> Right. Or, or in, in the event that you're not the specifier for lighting controls, you know, right. you kind of have to help even guide that ship, even though you're technically not responsible for that. And Absolutely. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to kind of Ron's defense, he, he becomes an asset in that to kind of bridge that gap to make sure that even if you aren't the person holding the reins, you have somebody who can ultimately in the end of the project have the reins right. and you can trust yep. that that project's going to be successful so yep. um yeah i mean when it comes to to system design it it's a real handicap when you don't have that scope though no it definitely it definitely is and um you know and ultimately um you see lighting and you see lighting either not dimming up and down as it's supposed to. So the first instinct you're going to have as an owner client is to say, oh, something's not working with the lighting design. So the first call that goes out is to the lighting designer. And, um, you know, and I think you've mentioned before that uh, you often are called back a year or two years later. We're also called back a, a year or two years later. And it's it's always, you know, really interesting to see like, all right, what dots didn't get connected and and how can how can we try to close it all out again without starting a whole nother project? Well, it's even worse sometimes when the client has clearly been living with the issue for multiple yeah. years and you get that call and it's like, I really wish you had called me like so many times earlier uh, than this. Like, or, or or even worse, it was on the punch list, right? <laughs> to get resolved, it never got resolved. Right, and so that's that's a real trick right there. I mean, uh, maybe some of the people listening in might not realize, but just because you put it on a punch list doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to get worked out. I mean, sometimes right. that punch list just gets ignored, or or the contract is already done with the project. By the time that they exactly. that punch list gets kicked over to them, so I mean, part of the additional hat, you know, with these multiple hats that you're wearing, it's almost coordinator too. You, know, you kind of have to to herd these cats to make sure that the that everything's done correctly. And so, you know, talk a little bit more about what that coordination is like. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, and it, it, again, it depends on on the time of the project, the timeline, uh, what phase you're in, 
uh, and even just closing out um, closing out a job, right? Getting on site, coordinating times with um, with the integrator, perhaps, or with the manufacturer. And uh, we actually have a a project now where it is it has been extremely difficult to identify where the problem is along the line, right? We've we've had the the controls manufacturer involved. We've had the uh, electrical contractor involved the manufacturer for the LEDs and the drivers. We've got, um, you know, the rep agents. We've got the architect, the contractor. Everybody's got a, a say or a play in the owner project management team trying to pull all the teams together. And we, we, there's something not clicking, something not working, something didn't get reviewed in the installation. And we haven't been able to, you know, kind of work it out. So cool. So in the case of that specific project, I'm very curious, mm -hmm. is there an integrator currently involved to sort of help tie some of this together or is there not one? There isn't one. And so for okay. for that particular job, that's the sort of to, to your point, um, we're wearing that hat where we're reaching out to the manufacturer and we're saying, please make sure you're speaking to the contractor, troubleshoot these things what else do you have to troubleshoot and so we're we're playing that integrator almost role of saying all right you go check with this you you know i'm not in in the drivers themselves unwiring and wiring things like maybe an integrator right. would um but definitely having to facilitate communicating between different teams it's a really so, tough I mean, you... role to be in because the like the electrician is ultimately saying well it's not my fault right and the driver right. manufacturer says well it's it's not us and the man, it's just it's a really tough role to be in without having sort of that dedicated middleman to that's in charge of the project that can really point to a specific issue and say nope this is what it is and really hammer that home and get it resolved right exactly yeah so i mean you know and then adding to that it's almost like you have to be prepared to take on that role if the the fee of the project or, or the scope doesn't cover including an additional person such as an integrator so in the event that it's a a massively complex project but they don't want to pay for an integrator you know what do you do i mean we rely heavily on the manufacturers we rely heavily on the on the reps to be able to help coordinate things and and you know their their brand is just as much on the line as ours is and so we want to make sure that we're you know having that conversation that you know if if we all look good then we all look, if i look good we all look good uh now if if it starts to look bad then it just trickles down but of course you know as the as the person who's talking to the architect and the client we're we're sort of the first uh the first uh person to get attacked <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And so, I mean, the the manufacturer's rep becomes an essential player. But at that point, you know, not having this third party integrator involved, you, you're kind of stuck with the manufacturer's limitations because they can't, right. you know, per, per the conversation we had last time with Ron, you know, he can kind of leap from manufacturer to manufacturer. But if you're working with one rep, I've I've done projects with multiple manufacturers on the system and you kind of have to really make sure that they communicate with each other because otherwise they don't touch each other each other's equipment they don't really work yeah. on each other's systems so yeah and it's um, it's not great to leave it to fate right it's not great to right. say okay hopefully <laughs> this contractor will actually get really excited about the project and take it under their purview to make sure everything looks great and works wonderfully and you know sometimes we really luck out and there are some really great contractors that and electricians that get excited about things and and they enjoy the challenge um but you're not always so lucky well and i mean that's the specifier's job is to make sure that things are detailed out. You know, if, if things aren't in the documentation, then it's up to the contractor to make the guesswork. And so, you know, making sure that a system is fully vetted before it's out to bid can be really challenging, especially if, for instance, the owner doesn't have a clear intent in mind and you kind of have to, to guess for them. So, you know, in, in the events, I know a lot of, designers will have sort of a default format in the event that the owner doesn't have an intent in mind but do you have something in mind do you usually uh have a conversation do you have questions that you ask like how do you overcome that challenge 
Yeah, I mean, we we try to have all of those conversations up front, and usually it, it happens. You know, we'll we'll poke at DD, we'll poke at CD, and right before that final issuance goes out, we uh we try to you know sound the alarm again and say you know we really want to make sure that this gets caught in the in the specs. We want to make sure that you're not hit at a later date with uh with an additional charge a change order because something didn't get captured and you know and it, it also helps a tremendous amount to have architects that you know you, you develop a relationship with you have a style of working together um and frankly their their understanding of our work is always helpful right when you when you have new clients and and new relationships that always gets a little bit more complicated when you have existing ones there's a form work. There's a there's a way to, to kind of step through, and everybody's kind of in the clear that all right, we we put a pin in this one. That means we're all going to revisit it in CA, and we're all going to enjoy the conversation then. But uh, but when you don't have um, when you don't have that sort of understanding, then yeah, then it's 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 on us to to keep sounding the alarm until we get some sort of response. And and you know right. you you know that you've got to cover enough in the spec to at least get you. 95% right. there. Right. But I mean, you know, to kind of counter argue that point, a lot of specifiers right now, at least, don't really flag the attention to that issue. And I would say that what you're doing is above and beyond the majority of specifiers out there, maybe not lighting designers specifically, but engineers, architects, you know, maybe the project timeline is just too much of a crunch for them to actually have this conversation about such a small portion of the project known as lighting controls, mm -hmm. that they're just trying to push this out the door, get it done so that it meets, you know, what they want. So, I mean, I think that it's great that you really try to establish with your existing clients because that really says a lot about the service you're providing. Um, and yeah. I think that, you know, our listeners hopefully are taking this in and, and going, hey, you know, maybe we should be doing this too. Because, um, you know, project success with lighting controls right now is abysmal. A lot of people yeah. hate lighting controls. A lot of owners right now have started to weed out systems because of bad experience. And I don't think it's the system's yeah. fault. I think part of it is yeah. contractors, part of it is specifiers, part of it is, you know, owners. But I think everybody, you know, if you have somebody who like yourself who's really expertise when it comes to this information is really continuing to hammer over people's heads, you get you get something back from that project. Yeah. And you get well, I think something something that helps us and, and, and our team and our office is you you, you do have um, we have a, a good group of people that have experience for more than a couple of years, right? They've they've got a dozen years of experience or that there's somebody near them that has at least a dozen years of experience. And so with that comes the ability of really focusing in on the most important parts that are gonna be relevant to to the user, right? You don't wanna get go down the rabbit hole of, oh, do you want it to be zero to 10 or DMX? Could, you know, you don't wanna, you don't wanna have that conversation with the client. And, you know, sometimes the client does have a person in their group that wants to get into the details, wants to get into the weeds, but you, you got to keep it high level enough for them to understand what am I missing if I don't have this or, you know, what, what am I going to gain? And, and I think that to your point, Webster, it's, it's our responsibility as the specifier to be able to understand that you've, you've got to um, put it in some terms that they're going to understand, that they're going to kind of react to and want to pay attention because I think a lot of times if, if an owner is not willing to answer a question it's because they don't understand. I, I, I think that's a really good point and so I'm curious you know if you have some examples of, of terminology language that you use or, or questions that you ask in lieu of saying hey do you want zero to ten because I, that is a very specific question being asked it's asking something that I don't even know if necessarily every lighting designer needs to be able to ask that question. I think definitely when you're at the specification level, you're dealing detailing out the luminaire requirements for sure. But I think at the high scope, you're right. You know, there's something else out there that needs to be asked even before you get to that level. Yeah. We ask a lot of programmatic questions. You know, how do you envision using the space? What kind of, um, space in in the building do we have to you know to go and bury controls um how much changing are you going to do after this initial build 
you know, are, are you imagining that you're going to have um, conference room turned into offices at a later point? Uh, it's it's a lot of just questions that are broad and seemingly unrelated, but you you tie it back to to the reasons why you're you're going with a specific control system. For sure, and I think that that those kinds of questions do come from a place of knowledge. I mean, you can't right. just say you know oh you know where are the lighting control is going to be stored without understanding that there's a big panel that needs to go somewhere. So right. <laughs> understanding that is part of this whole questionnaire. And so if you have a, an owner, for instance, who um, has uh, space limitations in their project, you know that electrical rooms are really tight and you're not going to be able to put much in there. Okay, where can we mount stuff? Do we have plenum space? Do we, you know, all right. of these questions are fantastic ways of leading to an answer that can help you identify the system. Ron, you had a thought. Yeah, so sort of spinning off of that a little bit more, it, based on the answers you get back from the client, from the OPM, at which point do you decide, hey, look, based on everything, and you go back to your team and, and based on everything they've come back with, at what point do you guys sort of sit down and decide, you know, this is a project that really could use an integrator or, or maybe it doesn't? And then how do you approach that with the client and the OPM if it, if it wasn't something that you originally envisioned being a need? Sure. Yeah. And I mean, we, we will, um, typically I think DD is a good time, <clears throat> excuse me, DD is a good time to start thinking of, is this a project that's perhaps complex enough that it's really going to require an integrator, somebody to be hands-on throughout this process. And at that point we will have that conversation with, um, with the o uh, owner project manager, uh, or the client, you know, depending on, on the relationships there. Um, but as far as us, you know, picking a system, that probably comes right before saying, all right, if we're going to go that route, then we probably need system plus integrator. Uh, or actually, we can just go with this system. This is going to be um, typical enough for a typical electrician to handle. Or this might get complex. Let's see if, if we can add this into the specification that we need somebody else to come in and, and help. And so, I mean... Integrators are an essential part of that. Are there other specialists that you'll tap if something needs some kind of hovering that, I mean, you know, lighting designers cover a lot of bases, but are, are there others who can support lighting designers? No, absolutely. I, actually, that's a, that's a really good point because we, we actually have an example of that. We had a project where we were pushing for the integrator angle and we were having a really hard time convincing the owner that that was required and that that added cost was needed because they're looking at us and you know why why do why did we hire you or what do we have an electrical contractor for or what about the control system that we've specified and right here it says that this person's going to be on site however many days and we're trying to explain no 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 that that's not what we mean and it gets it gets to a point where there's only so much explaining we can do and so where on that particular project what was very useful helpful was uh, speaking to the manufacturer, uh, working through with them their bill of materials and understanding what parts of this go away, what parts of, of maybe site support goes away and gets taken up by the integrator. And at what point do you also want an integrator because you don't want those phone calls. And so we all you know, make out better if, if we actually get this into the, into the spec early on and get everybody on the same page and then we can start working in that direction together. Well, I think you really brought up an excellent conversation point to have in the CD process, which is understanding where the cost of the system is going to be distributed, because there are so many projects I've seen happen where there's a double billing as a result of the fact that right. um, they went, oh, okay, we need an integrator and we need this and we need this. And, and it just kind of cascades and suddenly you have a $50,000 lighting control system that's $150,000. So, um, you know, I think really making sure to have those conversations when you are grabbing additional services outside of the manufacturer. You know, I like to say manufacturer provided integrator versus lighting control system integrator, third party integrator. Um, because of that, because technically the manufacturer does provide integration services. Right. Um, and so out of curiosity, you know, what is that conversation? Uh, how does that conversation with the manufacturer go when you, when you start 
trying to cherry pick services out. <laughs> I mean, fortunately for us, I think we're, we've got good relationships with our manufacturers that nobody <laughs> felt like I was taking too much away from them. No, I, and I think it was, it, it was, um, um, what's the word, uh, reciprocal or it, um, they understood just as much as we did that it was important to have an integrator for this kind of project. And it was important, um, for, you know, for the, for the effect that we were effects we were going for. Um, it was a, an experience, uh, architecture, you know, museum project that we did several years ago. And, and so it was, it was critical for somebody to, to really be able to communicate just sort of like how we translate to the client. It was important for another party to be there to help translate between us, the aesthetics, the design, the concept, and the programming guy who's making it all, or, you know, our gal making it all happen. And, and the programming guy, I mean, that was the integrator or was that an additional person? We ended up on, on that particular project. The integrator was kind of, you know, overarching. They, they had hands on everything, uh, but there was a specific programmer making things um, shift in color, you know, in sequences and, and things pop here and there. It was, it was multiple hands on that job. Yeah. And did that, did you bring in additional equipment uh, with that integrator? Did, did like uh, the integrator bring in their own like console to kind of do that, or were you using the the stock system mm -hmm. that was set up? No, I think if if I remember correctly, I think it was all part of the system. Um, I don't I don't remember them bringing in additional components. Sure. The integrator bringing in additional components. I just I just went on a project site where the the integrator brought in an additional console to to do the work that's why i was asking that question oh yeah but, uh, i've, I've you know, had that happen on a mock-up you know where right we, we just said we asked the rep hey can you help us you know we need to program this for a mock-up and he shows up with his little box and he's sliding things around like this is so much better than i could have imagined thank you so much <laughs> but i think that's a that's a great example of you know why developing a relationship with a manufacturer's rep is also critical with lighting controls yeah. because they have that ability to just be like okay you know here here's yeah. a, a kit yeah oh and, it, and it's, it doesn't get past me that you know we're especially lucky in new york right because we do mm -hmm. have those relationships mm -hmm. and we have your etc and your lutron guys and you know they're all down the street they're all down the block right and everybody's just a phone call away um that's not the case in every city that we work in right we have a lot of projects in new york city so that's very useful we had a project in florida and you know i'm trying to figure out who can i call to get uh support um and you know the the team in new york was super helpful on the phone but they couldn't get to where i was at quick enough and so at that point that integrator that we had in florida was actually instrumental it was you know, such a huge help because we could get on site together. We could f quickly look through how do we fix some hiccups that we were having. Right. And so, you know, personally, if I were to specify an integrator, that would be something that I would put in my specs as a requirement, which is a distance limitation to the project site, you know, because of that very reason. And so I, I wonder, you know, if you were to do a, a project in Dubai, would you be hunting down an integrator in Dubai? I get, it's probably one of the questions we would ask for sure. I mean, for, right. for, for our project in Florida, we had a similar um, sort of conversation. There got to be a point in the middle of the project where um, we were looking at two different integrators um, and we ended up settling, even though we were more familiar with the one that was mostly East Coast, Northeast Coast. And, um, and we ended up deciding for the one that was more local to the site because of its complexity and, and wanting to just make sure that there weren't any, you know, any um, delays in, in addressing the site. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. And so, you know, because yeah. I think a lot of people right now have a hard time finding integrators. I mean, yeah. it's easy enough to type in integrator on Google and find <laughs> like the big, you know, national wide groups, but they're actually quite boutique when it comes to size in the most part. And so um, being able to, to zero in, I mean, you know, sometimes I'll call the manufacturer and say, hey, do you know of any integrators in this area? Um, and I think to your point, interviewing them, identifying who they are, talking to them, making sure that they can do what you need them to do before even 
working with them is a, is really critical because um, I've definitely had times where a rep has tried to sub an integrator on a project and I'd look at the name and I'd look at the the services that they provide and I said these aren't going to do what you need them to do. They're they're designers. Yeah. They're just going to give you some documents. Like they're not actually going to go in there with a screwdriver and make sure everything's terminated. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But um, you know, so kind of winding back to um finishing the project out, you know, we we've talked about getting started kind of following through in the middle, but then, you know, when you're closing the project out, you know, what is your responsibility? And where uh, our services very rarely don't include some site days, right? Very rarely are we not on the job. 99.9% of our projects were, were on site on the final days, final hours sometimes, you know, walking out the back door as the guests are coming in the front. Um, and so what, you know, what that means is, is we're making sure we're hoping uh, that, you know, things have worked themselves out or we've nudged enough people or shoved enough people to, to get their attention to, you know, to troubleshoot, um, make sure the control system's working. I think where often there's a, an area of sort of cloudiness is, you know, does the client actually get their, um, their training in, right? Because often we're not involved in that. And, you know, we, we might have sold the client on, yeah, 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 you're going to, you know how to use the system. You just got to have your team and the, you know, the manufacturer is going to train them and it's easy peasy. But, at, you know, in reality, we have to be mindful when we say that because the contractor is deciding at what point that's going to happen with the manufacturer. Um, sometimes that happens months, if not a year or more after the site has been finalized. Um, and so it's, you know, again, there's just more calls, more calls that either we're getting or the architect's getting. So, um, you know, the, the site focusing and setting levels and, and making sure the time clocks are all programmed, you know, at least on day one, how they're supposed to be, that's almost the easy part. It's, um, it's making sure then on, you know, day two that everybody's got <laughs> what they expected. That's, that's the scarier part. Yeah. I, I, I think that that's really kind of on nail on the head with that point because yes you can commission a project through and through and make sure that it meets the documentation that you created but if the occupants a don't understand it b don't like it or c you know don't know who to reach out to because of these issues that's that's really going to cause this whole distaste for the system right. And so, um, you know, as a, as a specifier, your hands are kind of tied because of that, because you can't just like mm -hmm. go and knock on the door and be like, Hey, do you like the lighting control system I designed for you? Um, <laughs> you, you kind of have to wait for those right. calls to come in. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like best case when you hear nothing, you know, it went well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ron. Yeah. So it's funny. Cause like, that's always, especially during training and during commissioning. That's always one of my big things with owners is live, live with it for three months or six months yeah. and then make sure they know who to call, right? Because it's, whether it's the electrician or it is, you know, the OPM getting a hold of you or, you know, as a specifier, but that's one of the things I always try to make very clear is live with it for a little while, you know, understand how it functions and what it's doing, what it's not doing, take notes, and then be able to share all that information at once just to try and make it smoother for them and to let them know that it's not necessarily going to be perfect because we don't always know what's in their heads. Right. right. Well, and that's actually a conversation too, that we have with the client as we're sort of, you know, backing out of the project and, and sort of turning over the keys to the job for them. Right. All right. This is yours. When day two comes around and they say, Oh, actually, you know, we want to revisit the large conference room and we want the scenes to be brighter or dimmer, whatever the case may be. It's, it's threading that needle of, okay, but the system is yours now. Remember in the specifications, you got the premium, like two year contract or three year, whatever it is to have on-site service. Yeah. Live with it. Like, see, see if that's what you really want to do. And then at some point you are able to change it. We don't, you don't have to pay us to come in. You guys can do this now, you know, to, to the point where you're more comfortable with it. And it's those conversations happen every so often, 
Um, but it's kind of, it's, it's always fun to watch the owner go from like, oh, oh, it's mine now. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I get to, I get to adjust it. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's great. So, I mean, when it comes to training them, I mean, do you ever like give them a hands-on course or is that really something that you coordinate through other individuals? The, the hands-on course and not on how to use the system, but we do like to, to push for uh, um, if we're specifying this full system and if we're setting scenes and we're walking through. And again, depending on, on kind of the extent of the relationship with the client and, and how much hands-on they want to have, um, we like to have a, a few hours with the client to just walk room by room and say, all right, this is what we've done. This is what you should see. Again, similar to Ron, what you said, live with it for a while. You might change it later. Um, but we like to walk them through their ex expectations that they should have so that they, at, at minimum, again, it's it's that translation, right? It's not about getting a tech and setting a percentage. It's not about that. It's how does it feel in the space? Does it feel good? Does it not feel good? We can tweak it a little bit more. Maybe we'd need to do another run through of set, scene setting you know, today. Um, but it, 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 there's that dialogue of at least having them understand the capabilities of the system, even though you talked about it six months before or three years earlier. It's that walkthrough is, is always helpful. I mean, and I totally agree. I think, you know, thinking about listeners who are, who are trying to go, okay, you know, how am I going to design my fee around this now? Because it's an all-day affair. I mean, you can't just lump yeah. this in with lighting your your punch list for your lighting because especially let's say for instance a high-rise hotel that has so many different variables you know and you're trying to punch the lighting at the same time you're punching the controls i mean that sounds like it's going to be a major hassle to do it that way so it sounds like you really kind of have to to separate the two and say okay yeah we're going to do controls one day we're going to do lighting another day and additionally on that point you know coordinating your visits with the techs I mean, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I've definitely had this experience where the contractor has scheduled me to come punch a project. I show up, there's no tech, and it's yeah. the system's not even finished. And it's like, okay, where where did we miscommunicate here? Like, yeah. oh yeah, so. all the time. <laughs> and that's you know just one of those things you you expect, and so you, you again ring the bell, <laughs> raise the flag. <laughs> Like, all right, contractor, you remember it's in our, you know, specification. You've got to give us a heads up. you got to let us know. And so we, we do remind them because, and sometimes, you know, reminding the client too that says we've got one trip and or two trips. <laughs> and if you yep. ask us to come back because the tech wasn't there because you forgot to schedule in the tech when we're there, then, you know, who do we send that ad service to? Do we send it to the client or to the contractor? And we, we've had projects where the client was very clear, Mr. Contractor, you're in charge of this. If you fail to schedule it correctly, it's on you. And, you know, that works out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, that that's a really good defense for a lot of specifiers out there who unfortunately yeah. get suckered every now and then. So to, to be yeah. able to bend the, the owner's ear and say, hey, you know, it's going to cost you extra if this isn't the right time. Right. Um, you know, I don't think everybody has that, the fortune to be able to do that. And so sometimes you have to like go through the channel of sub consultants to, to get to the right oh, person. Yeah. But I think, you know, again, advertising for Ron here, our integrator, it's, <laughs> if, if this happened, I would just give Ron a call and say, Hey, is this really like, does this make sense to you? And he'd say, no, we, we should be, we're not ready yet. Like, yeah. so then <laughs> yeah. I can kick it back and say, please don't schedule this. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, then that's you know that's part of the advantage of having a project where you do either um, you know have the the freedom with the with the client and with the contractor to be able to speak directly to manufacturers or integrators. That's great. Sometimes we don't you know we're not we're not able to right. We there's a um, a, a very like do not pass <laughs> you know no communication between you and and the uh, and the manufacturers. And so it's, it just depends on the project and the, the client sure. if they're open to it. I mean, in preparation of those projects, you know, do you, do you get any warning that that's going to be the setup where it's like, okay, this is very structured. I mean, I know public projects, for instance, love to have their, their um, 
clear delineations of scope. Right. But, um, you know, is it sometimes when you get into CA, do you, do you get surprised? It's like, whoa, this is so formal. Like, uh, you know, I, it's, it's kind of like any relationship. You kind of can tell from the beginning, oh, this is, this is going to be a bureaucratic <laughs> one. <laughs> this is, this is going to be a toughie and we're going to have to stay in color within the lines on this one. <laughs> Which I think goes back on your point of, of being experienced, you know, having yeah. those years of experience and being able to pick up, okay, this contractor, you know, they're putting on an air of very clearly oh, yeah. not wanting to. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah. um. And, and you have those contractors that even though you're helping the project, helping the client, that they don't like you getting in between. And so they will be very quick to say, okay, so so you're in charge now. So if something goes wrong, it'll be your fault. And that, you know, that quickly reminds you that to stay in the lines. Yep. <laughs> no, that, 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 that's a really good point. Being able to read the room is almost like yes. an essential skill. So yeah. Um, Ron, you, you seemed like you had a. Yeah. So I guess when you're designing a control system, I'm curious, do you, and, and we don't need to name names, but do you have specific <laughs> manufacturers that you like to go to, or do you focus more around the intent of the control system and then let the contractor or the integrator decide how those, you know, what the controls are going to be to meet that intent. Yeah, no, for, for probably 95% of our projects or close to that, we are specifying the exact um, control system manufacturer if it's in our scope, right? If it's, if the if the um, uh, electrical engineer is in charge of the control system, then we're usually just providing the intent and then they're, they're specifying, or maybe they're doing a performance spec. Uh, but if we're in charge, we're usually identifying who we want to work with. And part of the reason for that is because we want to get into the documentation, uh, you know, a one-line diagram. We want to get in the capabilities of the system. We want to make sure that we're including, you know, whatever conversations we've had with the owner and making sure that those needs are being met. I guess kind of cool. building then, off of that. Oh yeah, go, go. Sorry. I keep jumping on you. Quick follow up to that. When you're when you're in that sort of design for controls, how much now do you bring up to the owner or do they question the ability for remote access or cloud control or web interface or things like that? Is that a common conversation you're getting into now? It hasn't been very common recently, but I, I heard your, your last podcast and I, I heard you saying how much easier it is now. And I'm sure part of that is, you know, COVID is it's the new reality. It kind of, whereas before I would often hear um, clients being sort of hesitant to do that. They don't want an outsider being able to tap into their network, all kinds of stuff. It seems like it's, it's coming up a little bit more recently. And I can only imagine it's, you know, if somebody has to wait, for the latest spike to go down for some site person to go on and fix whatever you know it's all everybody's all, all of a sudden going all right let's think about this what makes sense we can we're not breaking security <laughs> if we let you control our light levels um and it, it's i was really intrigued by what you said last time because i i do wonder how much easier things are going to be in the future if there's a little bit more ability to remote control things in rather than having to coordinate a site visit. So um, getting back to, to the question that I had, which is going back to um, being, you know, the scope of the project and whether or not you're, you're the one specifying the controls or just the intent, you know, what happens, let's say for instance, the, the designer of the system who is not you picks a system that you know is not gonna work for your intent. What happens there? <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna quickly understand that i'm a, a bell ringer <laughs> so you're gonna give that phone call and say hey you know what what's going on here <laughs> we, i am quick to pick up the phone <laughs> um, i think that's great i think that's that's really yeah, that essential happens. i mean conversations it, it, need to happen yeah it happens and every now and then it definitely is an ego boost when you somehow know more than the engineer about what the system can do it's uh those are those are fun <laughs> uh but yeah no it occasionally happens where again you have a relationship with the architect you kind of know what are the things that they're gonna want to see on the job 
and uh, you're, it's the one job or maybe it's a couple jobs where you're not specifying the system the engineer is and they specify something that's definitely not going to meet the aesthetics or definitely, you know, the, the keypad isn't going to look as good as the architect is accustomed to or, you know, the system isn't going to have the functionality or all of a sudden it's a bunch of gack on the wall as opposed to, you know, how do we simplify it? Um, and then it's it's just a phone call. And I usually am a little bit more courteous. I'll call the engineer and give them a heads up that, hey, I don't think this is going to work. Um, and if, you know, if they're hard headed and then I'll say, all right, let's get on a call with the architect and we'll sort it out together. But, you know, it, it usually clears itself up if, if you just actually raise your I, hand as opposed to let it go by. Right. I, I was curious about that because I do know designers. Um, um, not going to name any names, but, uh, you know, who will say, you know, hey, this is not within our scope. We're not going to babysit the engineer or the architect or whoever has this scope. You know, that's on them. And if they drop the ball, maybe they should have hired us. And I think that yeah. while, yes, there there's a really important delineation there when it comes to fee and and making sure that it's clear, okay, you're paying us for a very specific thing. Um, I think there is sort of a collaborative element that's lost in that approach. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And it's, <laughs> it's easy to go down that, that, um, I think that path of, um, being a stickler with fees and being a stickler to staying within your, um, your boundaries of what your scope is. Um, but again, going back to experience at, at some point you start to realize when, when you're, too rigid in that way, um, it'll cost you down the line. It'll either cost you a relationship or it'll cost you your design, right? Mm -hmm. One or the other. I would say you're extremely lucky if it doesn't cost you one or the other. No, I agree. And I think, you know, to the point that you started off with, the person who gets blamed if the lights go wrong is the designer. Even, even if your scope was literally just one portion of the project, it's just mm -hmm. this little color changing portion if yeah. something else in the project goes wrong lighting wise, you get blamed for it. So oh, yeah. same thing with lighting controls. Yep. But just to we kind had of a project. Yeah. As just as no, we go had ahead. A, go a ahead. <laughs> we had a project where we were um, just doing it, you know, very simple, like open office space, couple of private offices and uh, you know, designed it thoroughly <laughs> and, and, uh, Everybody goes in and the first phone call we get is the hallway that leads to the bathroom that's not in our scope, you know, but that everybody has to go through before they get into our scope is a hundred foot candles is way overlit. So by default, our space looks dark. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, God. Uh, yeah, but there's 100 foot candles in that corridor. Somebody put in way too many troffers. That is not good design. And, and, and you know, it is. It's if, it's if it has anything to do with lighting and you were remotely involved, they're going to call you. Yeah. And so, I mean, in that situation, you know, if, if you had the ability to be somewhat proactive, maybe it would have benefited you in the long run to say, hey, this is way over designed. Um, I don't I don't imagine you did have that ability, but um, you know. No, and it's one of those things was like I should have probably asked. You know, it's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is a is a is a great way to approach it. I mean, you know, yeah. that really says to me you have your client in mind as opposed to your oh, fee yeah. in mind. So that's really heartening to, to hear. So um, yeah. But to just kind of encapsulate what we've talked about here today, you know, uh, your responsibility on the project really is to represent the owner, to to help make sure that the system is is designed to what they want and need and just kind of hover over it. And if maybe you can't hover over it in a certain way, say, hey, you know, this guy Ron over here is an integrator and I want him to help make sure that this is going to go smoothly in the part of the scope that I can't. You know, I'm not going to be able to hold the contractor's hand. And then, you know, just kind of make sure that everybody understands what to expect when the system's done. Yeah. So, well, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Paula. This was really just a fun conversation. I, I, 
I yeah. really appreciate you coming in and chatting about this. Yeah, no, this was great. It's it's always fun to talk controls with you. <laughs> <laughs> Any final well, thoughts, Ron? Thank you so Ron? much for having me. No, I mean, I think, you know, it was great. You know, it's, it's nice to get, you know, to hear from somebody else too, from another designer who, who does value controls and values the integrator. But I, you know, as an integrator, I also need to sometimes step back and understand that it's not always your decision, at, right? A hundred percent as to whether or not there is an integrator involved in the project. And you can advocate as much as you want based on the needs of the project, but it still doesn't mean that it's going to happen. Um, but it's right. nice to know that you're, you're there and, and you're looking out for the owner regardless and, and trying to follow everything through. And it's, it's, it's really good. So thank you very much. Yeah, no, thank you guys for having us or having me. <laughs> <laughs> I know you loved Ron and Webb and Paula coming in hot on the conversation series, but you got to check out the magi the magicians. They're ready for you. That's right. Evluma. Go to evluma.com, Greg Eric. What do you got? You got their Omnimax. It gives you all the benefits of LED without sacrificing the light you love. You might want to match that high-pressure sodium look, and I can't tell you how many times recently I've had customers say they need that. And you mentioned it before, a lot of people might have a 3,000 Kelvin, but to get high-pressure sodium truly... Are you stealing my lines, goal, Greg Eric? I is, yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> but to, to get to that level, 2,000 Kelvin will get there, man, and they've got Ooh. it built into it. So you know what Evluma can do is maintain ambiance efficiently. Come on, Evluma. The magi that's because they're magicians. They are. We have the magic wand of the Omni. Come on, that light's amazing, 2,000 up to 5,000 Kelvin. And, you know, they're the only ones that have that right now. So go to evluma.com, and, of course the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, presenting all the lighting industry's best content right here on the internet for you to listen to and enjoy. And also the Lighting Agora. That's right, the Lighting Agora, making education available to the lighting professions and the Lighting Controls Association. And thanks to Webb Marsh and Ron Kuzmar and Paula Martinez-Nobles for participating in our conversation series. Very entertaining. Folks, if you made it to the end with us and with them, Thank you. We love you guys. Bye for now.